Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is sponsored and dedicated loving memory of Nishmat David ben Naima, sponsored by the Aharon family. As well, uh, sponsored by Stephen Rapport, the Breakfast King, dedicated in loving memory of Morris Sutton, Alava Shalom, Nishmat Moshe ben Adel. Thank you. In loving memory of Moshe Simantov, Alava Shalom, Nishmat Moshe ben Hanav Shimon, Alava Shalom, sponsored by his son Simon Simantov. The week of Kobu is sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Dedicated as well in loving memory of Rafi Aryeh, Alava Shalom, Rafael Ben Agdas, and Murad, Alava Shalom, sponsored by the Oev Shalom family. Uh, Breakfast in the class also sponsored by Jill and Ralph Batesh, dedicated loving memory of Leah Shash, Alava Shalom, Lilun Shmat, Leah Batrifka, and Moshe, Alea HaShalom. And finally, last but not least, uh, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in the celebration of the engagement of Shoshi Fari to Netanel Amenov, Simantov, Mazatov, Mabruk, to them and their parents, Rabbi Shlomo, Rabbi Shlomo and Chana Farhi, Yisrael and Dorit Amenov. Mabruk, Mazaltov, uh, so wonderful that my daughter uh, got engaged yesterday. It fills us with simcha and with joy, and we like to share that joy with everyone, with the entire community, in the willingness and in the hope that the tap that they turned on from Shamaim, that Shefa, should spill on everybody and all of the uh, young people who are looking to get married should find their zivug and the couple should have uh, children and Bezat uh, Hashem people should have parnasah. You know, once Hashem starts the tap of Berachot for whoever, it can be extended, uh, you know, on everybody. So Bezat Hashem, we should all be zocheh to live lives of Beracha. Baruch Hashem. Inshallah by Sammy, by you too. We want to. We want to celebrate Bezat Hashem. We don't want to be. We don't want to be sitting here with uh, you know with a sign uh, in, in the morning of Moshe ben Adela Shalom. We want to be talking about Bezat Hashem, the building of your beautiful home, Inshallah, as a, 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 a the pillar of the community that you are uh, for many many years to come. Okay. The pasuk in the end of the parasha um, ends with something quite interesting, because we have not yet spoken about building. Uh, a Bet HaMikdash. We've not yet spoken about building the Mishkan. What parashat does that come in first? When we start learning about the building of Mishkan and the vessels of the temple, that happens first in Parashat Tirumah, Tetzaveh, right? And yet over here, in the end of Parashat Yitro, the Pasuk gives you already advice about the, uh, the altar, the Mizbeach, where they used to bring the Korbanot, the sacrifices. It says, Lo ta'aleh al mizbechi. Do not walk upstairs to my mizbeach, to my uh, altar. Right? Lo ta'aleh bema'alot al mizbechi. Right? Asher lo That you should not expose your nakedness on it. Now literally the pasuk is saying that when there's steps up to the mizbeach, so as a person moves from step to step, they have to lift their legs, and it's perhaps, show, it's perhaps showing what's underneath a person's robes. Back then they were wearing robes, they weren't wearing pants. So it's, it, it, unfortunately it revealed something uh, not so nice to, this, to each step as he, as he lifts his legs as he's walking. So therefore God says, instead of having uh, uh, stairs up to the Mizbeach, they should have instead, they should have uh, a ramp. So that the person's steps could be smaller, that they don't, doesn't need to lift up his, uh, his leg in order to. 
in order to that his nakedness should not be exposed to the, the, the stairs. Rashi brings down the, 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 the wonderings of Chazal. Why are we worried that the stones of the, of the steps to the Mizbeach should see uh, the erva? In what way is that a bizayon? And the Gemara and our uh, Chachamim explain that what we're learning from here is if the Torah was so careful with etzim va'avanim, with wood and with stones, okay? If the Torah was so careful with, with wood, with sticks and with stones, not to hurt their feelings, how much more so should a person be careful in the bizayon, in the embarrassment of a person who actually does feel embarrassment and does feel shame? So this was a method of creating teaching moments, if you will, within the Jewish people's psyche that they couldn't or that they shouldn't be able to fathom uh, bringing embarrassment to anyone ever. We talked a little bit about this in the beginning of the week where so much of education, of good education, is not found in frontally attacking the person or aggressively teaching or pushing the person, but rather creating these moments where it, you, as you're learning and growing, you're slowly changing to the point where all of a sudden you're at a place where you couldn't imagine doing something. Could you, i just give you an example. I want you to imagine uh, back in your childhood, you know, back when you were a child, you walk into the bed, Knesset, you know, someone tells you you gotta go, your father tells you you gotta go to shul, or they call you in, they name Minyan, or your friends, uh, you know, called you in. And it's a summer's day in Deal or in the Hamptons or wherever you are. And you know, when you're wearing your shorts, shorts and a t-shirt, or maybe even shorts that are cut off. But you're gonna miss Minha, so you walk into the synagogue. I, how many times do we see it in the community? Young people, young kids walking in. Rabbi, someone goes over to them. I come like this into the shul, terrible. That kid that got thrown out of shul, what's their response? You don't want me in shul? No problem. You'll never see me again. He quotes Moshe Rabbeinu. You saw my face now, you'll never see my face again. <laughs> right? But that's the last time he's quoting Moshe Rabbeinu either. A person who sees the honor, the dignity of the Beit Knesset, the way the people treat it in the right way, they learn slowly what is and isn't appropriate about the Kavod of the Beit Knesset. So if you have to be careful, if the Torah is like, don't embarrass the stones, eventually what are you going to get through your thick skull and my thick skull? You can't embarrass people. You can't embarrass things. There's a mitzvah in the Torah. The mitzvah in the Torah says, Bal tashchit. You're not allowed to throw away something, uh, waste something. Not allowed to waste something. So as an example, let's say you have half a tub of cream cheese. You take the half the thing, you put it in, throw the rest out in the garbage. That's bel tashchit. You're not allowed to waste. We're not allowed to waste things. I remember so many times, even, you know, they ask you, you're in a restaurant, they tell you, should we pack it to go? And you're thinking to yourself, I'm not going to eat this. I'm not going to eat this at home tonight. I'm going for Shabbat to my parents. And you tell them, no, no, it's okay. And you see them take plates full of food, delicious food, expensive food, throw in the garbage. How many times have I told them, 
pack it up. And my wife, my kids, someone will say, what are you doing? We're not going to eat anyway. And then you go outside and you find someone sitting on the street and you give them half a pie of pizza. Don't throw something away. Now the idea here, see most people think that the concept is don't throw something away is about, it's about, you, it's about the pizza. You're not allowed to throw the pizza away. And I don't think that that's the point. I think when you throw something away, you don't destroy it, you destroy you. You've destroyed your appreciation for something. You've destroyed that by throwing it out. So Torah teaches us lessons on inanimate objects. And it may be if we tell you how haram it is to throw away a piece of pizza. You might learn how haram it is to throw away a child who, who's not performing well in school. You might learn not to throw someone who came to shul in shorts and a t-shirt, you know, and doesn't even know any better, and you're yelling at him, but he doesn't know. We had someone here in the shul, Shabbat, they don't know the difference. They pull out their phone on Shabbat, taking pictures of the shul. They didn't know. Someone went up, yelled at them, and the woman was so hurt, she said, I can't believe you're yelling at me. Do you see what I'm looking at on my phone? She shows and she says, I didn't have, I didn't find the Hebrew English and I don't know, it was my first time in the synagogue and I was trying to follow. So she Googled prayers in English and she's trying to find, follow along. Someone comes along and yells at her. Is it wrong to have the phone out on Shul and Shabbat? Of course. Does she know that? She doesn't know. So if you went up and you said, oh, can I get you an English Sidur? Now you made someone feel welcome. You yell at them and scream at them, what happens? You lost them forever. So if the Torah tells you, be careful with the stone, the stone of the Mizbeach, it shouldn't be embarrassed. Maybe we'll get it through our thick skulls. How much more so to be careful with a human being? The Torah goes on and on about not cutting down fruit trees. Why? Because they produce. Maybe if you're busy with figuring out how not to cut down a fruit tree that produces, and you uproot the whole thing with its roots, even if you need that space. It's blocking the house, it's gonna be a problem, it's ruining the foundation of the sidewalk, whatever the case might be. Still the halakha is, you have to get a special company to come, they have to move the whole fruit tree, they come with a big uh, thing that clamps underneath it, picks it up with the roots, then you can move it somewhere else, you didn't chop it down. Maybe we'll learn from that, that even though you, someone, some human being is in your way and you have to go through him and there's no other way, figure out a way where you move him and he remains whole. These lessons are so priceless. You just have to figure out how to transport them and translate them from the way the Torah was trying to communicate them in their native form, in their osmosis form, into their practical form. But how much more so, Rabotai, should we be careful, nervous, aware of the bizayon, of the embarrassment of our friends? I want to tell you a crazy story. During the time of the Maharsha, it's not a heebie-jeebie, this is not a, you know, as a Baba, Baba Metzia, Baba Kama, okay? This is the Maharsha who wrote the Pirush in the back of every Gemara, 
open up the back of any Gemara, you'll see Chidushe Agadot, Chidushe Halachot from the Maharsha. They are, it's unbelievable. It's one of the most, it's insightful, it's, it's very, very impressive, uh, all, the, all the, everything he says, it's uh, unbelievable. And I, I, would, I would suggest that if you're ever stuck in a Gemara, especially a Gemara like Agadita, the very first thing you might want to do is take a look at the Maharsha Agadot. He is on fire. I cannot tell you how much I enjoy learning his... Uh... So let me tell you this story. The story goes like this. There was unfortunately a person in the town that was very wicked. Bad guy. All round, bad guy. Anyway, comes time, the guy, Rahet, passes away. Now, I'm sure no one dedicated the class in his memory. Right? They take his body out. They're going through the streets. They're taking it to burial. Anyway, one, a young Torah scholar, one of the guys in yeshiva, he thought it would be funny. So he went to the coffin and he knocked on the coffin. Like, uh, like anyone there? Or he knocked, on, I don't know if it's on the, on the top of the coffin or if it was Minhagiru Shalayim, where they don't use the coffin, it's with the talit. Maybe he knocked on his floor. But he knocked. Like, anyone home? Anyone home? Everyone thought it was, people thought it was funny. They buried this guy, this Rasha, and that night, this young man has a dream. And in his dream, this Rasha comes to him and says, I'm calling you upstairs to answer in Shamaim for the fact that you embarrassed Rasha, this, me, you embarrassed me. Anyway, he was very nervous. What is this dream? Very vivid, very clear. He figures, okay, you know what? Maybe my guilty conscience playing tricks on me. He goes, uh, he goes on with his day the next night again. The next night again. The next night again. Every night he wakes up. Eventually, he gets so anxious and so scared. He starts screaming every night. The boy hasn't slept. He's, the health is deteriorating. He's saying sorry, he's doing everything. Nothing stops this dream again and again and again and again. They go to the Maharsha and they tell the rabbi, this, look, this is what happened, this is the story. The guy on the funeral, the Rasha, knocked on the thing. You know, now he's coming every night. The ra- they're telling him he's bringing him to Shamaim to answer for his deeds. And the boy is, uh, you know, his health is out the window. Please, you have to help. The Maharsha says, okay. Every night he starts screaming before he wakes up. Says, make sure I'm going to be right nearby. As soon as he starts screaming, you call me. Wild story, huh? Middle of the night, the kid starts screaming in his sleep. They call the Maharsha. The Maharsha runs in before he wakes up. And the Maharsha says, has a conversation with the soul, with the neshama of the niftar. Only someone like the Maharsha could do this. He, so to speak, communicates with the soul of this person that's trying to wake him up, trying to bring him to the heavens. And he says to him, why are you bothering this guy? He says, because he embarrassed me. Embarrassed me in front of everyone. He's got to pay. He says, but you deserve the embarrassment. You were a rasha, weren't you? And he says, it's true. I was a rasha. He says, but nobody knows that one day I was walking past the river and I saw someone fall into the river. 
and they couldn't swim, and they were drowning in the river. I ran as quickly as I could. I dove in with all my clothes, with everything. I ruined everything to save this person, to save his life and carry him out of the river. Who was it that was drowning? A tremendous, a very big Tamil Chacham. I saved his life. And not only did I save the life of the Tamil Chacham, because of this story, I saved his life, we got to talking. And on the low down, on the QT, I started helping him every day, a little bit, every month, a little bit of money, sending him to support him and his family. We became quite close. He was a close friend of mine, and I supported him from that day until the day I died. When I got to the Shamaim, they welcomed me here. They welcomed me as if I was a Talmud Chacham. Because I'd saved his life, because I'd uh, really helped him, not a hundred dollars, because I'd helped him, I'd supported him and his family, his whole, the duration of my life, so much of his Torah is also in my merit. They treated me like I was a, I was a Talmud Chacham and no one made any mention of all the terrible things that I've done. And therefore, since up here I'm a Talmud Chacham, it seems like, I feel it was inappropriate what he did and he's got to pay for it. He embarrassed me. He embarrassed the Talmud Chacham. I remember reading the story and I was like, Shema Israel, even up there they don't change these guys. How does the Rasha, he gets the little sticker by mistake, hello, I'm a Tamil Chacham. Now he's running around to a guy, come on. The Maharsha says to him something unbelievable. The Maharsha says, listen, I'm only going to say this once. You don't going to hear from me again. He says, your Averot didn't go away. Your Avonot, they didn't leave, they didn't depart. They're there. But the Torah that you studied is Kitris. It's like a wall, a Mechitza between your sins and yourself. And the merit of having supported this Tamir Chacham is protecting you from all of these Averot. Don't you see what the Yetzirah is trying to do? He's trying to get you to carry through with your threat so that you take the life of a future Tamir Chacham. By demanding, he comes to the Shamaim to give Din V'Cheshbon. What do you think is going to happen to your wall when the one thing saving you from your Avonot is the fact that you saved the life of a Tamir Chacham if you now take the life of another Tamir Chacham? From that day on, the person had no dreams. So whether or not the Maharsha was talking to his soul or to himself or ruminating or praying, I don't know. But the point is, Chalas. But you see a tremendous concept here. The importance of recognizing that even the bizayon of someone maybe that's not so special, you don't necessarily know what else they've got going on. How special that person might actually turn out to be uh, in, the, in the higher worlds. You don't know what zechuyot tzedakah they have. You don't know what kind of chesed they have, what kind of Torah they have. And it's a dangerous game to play. Lo ta'alei 
al mizbechi. Be careful, you're going to embarrass the, spo- the stones. Asher, You can't do that. And if you can't do that to, uh, to stones, to wood, etzim, avanim, you can't do that to a human being. I always thought how ironic it is that the, the way Chazal are talking about, we're careful with the, the honor and the dignity of etzim, avanim, of stones, of stones and of wood. And the famous children's adage is, sticks and stones will break my bones, right? But names will never harm me. So the irony is that we as Jews were supposed to use sticks and stones as a method of learning not to embarrass someone. And in the child's song, the sticks and stones teach you the opposite lesson. That you know what, you can't hit me with a stick, but if you want to make fun of me and my family, no problem, go for it. When actually, we'd rather take a beating. All of us. Could you imagine, would you rather be canceled? Would you rather everyone embarrass you? Or someone give you a nice hiding with a stick? I'll take the stick any day. But the Torah doesn't say, the, 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 the song doesn't say that. That's how the Torah sees it. I want to add one last piece on this pasuk. Don't go, don't come up with your, uh, uh, don't, don't walk up the stairs. Our rabbis explained that there's also another interpretation to these words. Ma'alot in Hebrew means? Right. Ma'alot means stairs. Shir la ma'alot. Those are the song of ascents as they would, go, as they would walk up the stairs, the Levi'im, the 15 stairs of the Beit HaMikdash. They would stand on the stairs and sing, etc., etc. But my friends, the word ma'alot also means a person's great character traits. Right? Right? Or you ask a person, you're checking into someone uh, for a shidduch, you say, you know, tell me about their ma'alot, what's good about them? What are they, what's great? Do they, are they smart? Are they funny? Are they kind? Are they empathic? You know, do they, are they successful? You know, are they, do they have great midot? Tell me about this person. What are his ma'alot? Says the pasuk, an unbelievable idea. Lota ta'alebim ma'alot. Many times, a person wants to get ahead. And the way that they think that they'll get ahead is by blasting, is by advertising all the things that are great about themselves. They rise, or they think that they will rise by broadcasting their ma'alot. You know, I'm very uh, special. I'm the best construction manager. You know, I did this project, and I did this project. They want to tell everyone everything that they've done in order to illustrate how special they are, how important. They're being olebe ma'alot. Says the pasuk, Rather, how should a person rise? They should rise through on the mizbeach. The pasuk says that what does God want on his mizbeach? What sacrifice does God want? Elohim, the sacrifices of God is ruach nishbera, a spirit which is broken, a broken spirit, is a, is the sacrifice of God. A person who feels humble, a person who feels that they have what to fix. Today, the word broken is a bad word, but the truth is, so long as you are broken, you have reason to be here on earth. If you are complete, your job is done. When you recognize the areas in which 
you are broken, you extend and you allow for the job of fixing yourself to be a cause, a reason for Borei Olam to say, I need to give them more time. They're still trying to fix. Now, when a person looks at it that way, when they come to an opportunity that way, they rise tremendously by sharing al-mizbehi. Why? And this is so beautiful. Because asher lo You know, when you come with all of your ma'alot, you want to tell everyone how great you are, you know what happens? You expose your nakedness. You come with clothes, but you make people ask, you know, are these the emperor's clothes? Oh, you, you built that shul? What, like by yourself? Well, nah, I didn't build it myself. I, you know, I was that. You know? <laughs> there was other people involved when they were building the shul. Oh, you, oh, you started, you started this business. Did, did you fund it? Did you? Was your funding? No, it wasn't mine. It wasn't my. Did you, is it your idea? You're the first person in the world to do. No, it's not. Oh, so basically, you took someone else's idea and someone else's capital and someone else's and someone else's and someone else's. What'd you do? You're an imposter. You're a fraud. You're exposed. Your nakedness is exposed. When we share what's great about ourselves, what happens? What do people want to do? They want to expose our nakedness. When a person doesn't try to take all the credit, they come with the Ruach Nishbarah. They look like, look, you know, I hope that I've made somewhat of a difference in the grand scheme of things. And the other guy says, what you hope you made some, you know it's because of you the company's successful. I think this na the nature of this is not just contrarian thought where people say the opposite of what you want. A person who builds themselves up is asking to be taken down. A person who says, look, you know, I've done my best. You know, maybe there's people who would have done it better. What's the challenge that people offer? Who would have done it better? You're amazing. You're wonderful. The Pasuk gives us this unbelievable advice of of how to rise and how to become better. It is only a person that needs to feel like he's the king of the world that finds it within himself to embarrass and to denigrate other people. But if a person feels that spirit of brokenness and humility in themselves, they don't look at others and try and find them, find their faults. Do you know why? Because if I'm faulty and you're faulty, why would I call you out? The humility of a person actually ensures that they don't uh, embarrass, never mind a stone, but the heart and soul of a living, breathing, feeling human being. Baruch Adonai Amen.